0: This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined by my two colleagues, Ed Reed and Andrew Dykes, and we're going to start with some sad news, guys. None of us, in the end, got the job at BP. We all, you know, we all really put our our hats in the ring there, but... uh, Beaten to the punch by one Murray Auchincloss, uh, Andrew. Your your reflections on that, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I uh, I'm still waiting for my email reply back to my recruitment, but I'm you know any day now, I'm sure it'll come in the post. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a
2: job share uh, situation. <laughs> we, we we did pitch that, oh, didn't right.
0: we? Yeah, yeah, that was a I forgot that was a discussion. Yeah, yeah, even even <laughs> even then, even the might of three uh, energy voice reporters not enough uh, to beat to beat to, to to get to the the CEO. Uh, of, of BP, uh, but some some market reaction in the wake of that, Andrew, perhaps not unexpected, the, who they went for?
1: Yeah, so uh, Mr. Auchincloss has handed the keys to BP this week after nearly four-month recruitment process. Um, formerly the supermajor CFO, he stepped up to the interim role in September following, as we've covered, the sudden resignation of Bernard Looney over a scandal involving what one analyst described this week as extracurricular activities, which uh, we enjoyed very much. <laughs> uh BP confirmed the appointment on Wednesday, noting that it had been made following a robust and competitive search process spanning both internal and external candidates. And as we obviously discussed on the pod a few weeks back, um, they've typically opted for long-serving company insiders rather than external candidates for this role. And you know, the reaction, the uh, result is no surprise in that in that matter. Uh, there was a, a string of internal candidates were named. I think we, we did cover that last time, but uh, Mr. Ackmanclust did prevail and was was viewed, I think, before the the completion as the most logical successor. Uh, BP's chairman, Helga Lund, said the board was in complete agreement that uh, Murray was the outstanding candidate and the right leader for BP. He said many already know him well and few know BP better than he does. So for his troubles, he uh, has been confirmed he will receive an annual salary of $1.45 million, uh, alongside potential bonuses, bonus deferrals, and performance shares in accordance with the company's remuneration policy. So Mr. Auchincloss said it's an honor to lead BP, it's a great company with with great people our strategy from international oil company to integrated energy company or ioc to iec does not change and that he's convinced about the significant value he can create so i think one thing we didn't kind of cover last time was just the, the length of service that he has uh, put in he's was obviously cfo since july 2020 at that point he joined the board but he's previously been uh, deputy cfo Head of Business Development Upstream. He also worked uh, directly with the Chief Executive's Office during uh, Bob Dudley's tenure, so that was 2010 to 2013. Um, he's had various financial and planning roles in Canada and the US. He was Commercial Director for BP's Onshore North America business and briefly CFO for North Sea as well, which I don't think we I, oh, I certainly didn't d- know that.
0: didn't realize that. I didn't know there had a CFO for North Sea necessarily, but maybe that's a thing of the past. Yeah,
1: Interesting. A, co- a company man. <laughs> through and through, I think. As you mentioned, um, the kind of the market reaction was—I think one analyst described it as lukewarm. I think we'd sort of very much seen him as the continuity candidate, uh, who's kind of going to keep on with BP's strategy. Whether that strategy is working for investors seems to sort of now be the question. Really, mm. um, Darren Nathan, uh, the head of equity research at Hargreaves Lansdown, um, said he certainly has a job to do to restore investor confidence and to close the valuation gap with arch rival Shell and the even wider gulf with uh, the company's US peers. Continuity is no bad thing, but the shape of returns from the growing focus on energy transition technologies still needs to be proved. On the other hand, uh, Biraj Borkataria from RBC, uh, who I think had viewed them as as uh, the most logical successor, said that it was the best possible outcome for BP shareholders in the short term, given the the continuity. Um, so, I mean, no big surprises. I think. I think I was obviously Team Murray through and through. So, pleased you know, <laughs> yeah. pleased to pleased to, <laughs> to have a result. Um, I think there's a lot of things now that he's going to have to focus on. So we did a piece today looking at some of those priorities. I think that that share price priority is going to be certainly um, top of his list, I think. In their last results, he seemed kind of comfortable with it. He said that their share price multiples are trading equivalent with the European peers. He said it had already closed the gap with some of the US rivals by a third over the past year. Whether that will continue given the sort of mega mergers that we've seen emerge in the, in the last quarter, I'm not sure. I haven't kind of pulled all the numbers together on that but it will be interesting to see whether that has an an impact on the the full year results as well. Um, And he uh, dismissed any sort of speculation around M&A basically uh, in the last quarter saying that it wasn't on their minds, they're not looking at potential takeover targets and uh, in discussions around any of that. So again remains to be seen there's always market speculation
2: around BP as a potential target or taking over someone else. I mean I think just in terms of sort of, you know, who they might be looking at. It's it's hard to work out who they might want to buy, right? Because obviously moving from an IOC, like buying an oil company would shift them back into the oil game, which he's made it clear it it, it doesn't sound as really kind of the, the top of their list or, or you know, really a sort of strategic priority. But then equally buying like a like a I don't know, like an offshore wind company, like an Orsted or something. It, it, it's it's hard to see how that's really maybe making sense at the moment, particularly given the sort of the the concerns around uh, offshore wind and, and some of those projects. So it's kind of like a hard uh, it would be a hard decision to make, I imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean they've doubled down on solar, right? So they've taken on sort of full control of, of light source recently, um, which but it's kind of just again more of the same strategy, you know, continued. Um, I think you're right. I think it would be difficult to see how you could justify a big splash out on another purchase. Clearly, as as Mari says, it's not on their minds. Um, but it, and then we see the the likes of Shell obviously pulling back from some of their ventures, kind of pulling out of the home energy market and things like that, um, not being able to make that work. So I think this sort of vertical integration that he's talked about will clearly be the key. But I think it will just be more of the same. Um, we, mentioning wind, obviously, US wind is probably also going to be a big uh, big part of the intray. I think <laughs> given mm. the the headwinds that we're seeing uh, off New York with that round, I think uh, beginning of the year. Equinor and BP's joint venture projects terminated their agreements with with New York, uh, and sort of resetting the discussions around uh, those those wind projects, and uh, are looking to seek new offtake opportunities for Empire Wind too. Um, so I think that's certainly going to be something to watch in their full year results, which come out in a few weeks.
0: To, to what extent, is he, you know I mean it, I remember you, you know we, you watched the Bernard Looney um, results calls and that, and it, I wouldn't say. Um, Auchincloss was the antithesis of, of Bernard Looney but certainly he seemed kind of more the straight and narrow kind of guy and and Bernard Looney was having a bit of fun which I, I imagine that's, that's reflected a lot more in reality than we first thought um, but you know d- He's the continuity candidate. I mean, it does seem, you know. Okay, he, he's. He, you can look at some European rivals, um, but clearly, I think most people, when you talk about BP, they'll look at Shell. I mean, do we think he's likely to kind of reinject inject a bit more energy and 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 you know make something happen? I know he needs a bit of time, um, and maybe it's a bit unfair to ask right now. But you know, I mean, how how long does it go on before there's there's there needs to be something changed? And I I guess I was just kind of thinking the fact that they've never. I don't, I don't know when they last hired somebody from outside. I think we spoke about this before. And I think, you know, wh- I'm just wondering would the market have had a more positive reaction with an outside hire?
1: Yeah, you, you do wonder that. I think he's obviously, as uh, Helga Lund mentioned as well, he's across kind of every bit of the business and has served in, in kind of internationally and lots of different bits of it. And it's clearly you know, a very good kind of numbers guy, fiscal control guy, uh, definitely a candidate for steadying the ship in the wake of something like a sudden departure of your last CEO. <laughs> and so in, in that sense, I think he's probably the right man for the job at the time. Whether or not this kind of general strategy that they have will get a rethink this year, I think will be, will be really interesting to see. We, as, as mentioned before, we've seen what, you know, well, Sawan can do with sort of Shell's um, strategy in less than 12 months, you know, and quite substantial shifts, I think. Much as they're uh, sort of maintaining that they're not departing from anything, I think there was definitely some focus and and, uh, definitely a bit of change in strategic priorities, certainly away from some of the more uh, longer-term energy transition uh, technologies like hydrogen.
0: Yeah, you you see BP, I I guess, or I see BP right now as being much more into the kind of, you know, uh, having more of a foot into the energy transition than, than, say, Shell, um, I would argue. So, I mean, Shell have managed to get their share price, you know, had a bit of success there but have they have they had any reputational damage i guess in, in the wake of that as well i mean i'm, I'm trying to think about what they'll be weighing up in a, in a bp perspective
2: i mean they shall Scher, has had some flack about the way it's, it's 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 shifting and obviously there were some quite high profile departures weren't there of executives into mm-hmm. the new transition team um so i think yeah certainly they've they've, they've taken their sort of share but i think it, it it does feel like uh, Shell's new CEO, I say new, um, has has obviously taken that decision to kind of you know really kind of tackle that sort of share price question, which obviously kind of feels like he's doing that through a reversion to to oil and gas. Um, whereas the appointment of Mario and seems to say kind of the opposite, doesn't it? So uh, they're they're releasing their uh, Q4
1: and full year results on the sixth of February, so about three weeks time. Um, so I think that will be the first kind of major test for whether this, you know, what investors want to see, also what uh, Mr. Auchincloss's strategic priorities will be. Um, So yeah, we'll we'll update you nearer the time there, I think.
0: Okay, something to keep an eye out on. Uh, So we spoke a little bit about Shell there, and I think we'll we'll continue with them and some, well, big moves in Nigeria after this.
1: As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Mega Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Okay, Ed, some, well, a big deal announced this week with Nigerian and Shell divesting its interest.
2: Yeah, so uh, it's, it's been sort of a long time coming. Um, Shell has obviously been facing sort of challenges onshore in uh, Nigeria for some time. Obviously, sort of, you know, years and years of... Sort of pipeline problems, of sabotage, of bunkering, of sort of insurgency, um, and so it, you know the fact that uh, Shell was sort of looking for an exit is, is is no surprise. Now they finally managed to do it, um, and obviously, um, how best to di- phrase this diplomatically? It feels like uh, Shell at the end was just keen to get out at whatever price it could maybe i'm being unfair but <laughs> just 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 to just to, to 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 put some of those numbers into perspective so they're going to receive 1.3 billion um basically as the sum and then and sort of 1.1 billion in adjustments so that's about 2.4 billion pounds that sounds like a good amount of cash right mm. however however they're also going to provide 1.2 billion in a loan to the buyers hmm. um to help them, you know, sort of get their feet under the table, get things sorted, and they're also going to provide over the sort of the coming years another 1.3 billion dollars um, to secure uh, gas feedstock for their big uh, LNG plant, Nigeria LNG, which is obviously is, remains a kind of a key part of the Shell portfolio, and to kind of over you know provide some some monies for sort of decommissioning. So that. Feels to me like that's pretty come out the kind of square, so they have kind of essentially walked away from it. Um, it feels like without really making anything in particular. So I mean, officially, the, the it's 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 so it's it's selling this thirty percent stake in uh, SPDC, and it says that it's got a, a book value of two point eight billion dollars. It's warned there's going to be an impairment. Obviously, the big question is how much of an impairment is that going to be? Uh, again, you know, talking about sort of looking forward to results. Uh, hopefully, we will see some sort of uh, interesting disclosure. Possibly, you know, some, somewhere in the in the big document, it'll be like, actually, this is how much it cost us to uh, to to get rid of this sort of um, particularly challenging set of assets. I mean, so so they've been sort of running down these uh, SPDC's holdings over the years. Um, it, I think they've, they've they've now got about half the number of licenses they did a few years back. Um, so they've got 15 onshore licenses, I think it is, and three in the shallow water. But they're keeping, as I said, uh, Nigeria LNG, uh, which is obviously kind of um, it's, it's it's working on. The, the, there are more trains coming online shortly, um, and it's also retained the sort of the big offshore, uh, the deep water asset, Snepco, um, which is which is obviously the kind of a key part. So so obviously. NLNG and SNEPCO are the kind of the big those those are gonna kind of the you know kind of really shift the dial. But these SPDC assets, they're mature, they're challenging, there's a lot of flaring problems around them. So it's again, it's kind of one of those questions where um I think Nigeria's Nigerian assets for Shell account for about half of the company's flaring. Hmm. Selling off these assets, obviously, is going to do a lot. So kind of coming back to that kind of question about, you know, where else and what his sort of strategic priority is. And obviously, they've made commitments around uh, tackling flaring and things. Obviously, one of the best ways to uh, tackle a flaring problem is to sell those flares to somebody else. Uh, does not matter what the price is? <laughs> obviously, to an extent, but it's I, I'm, I, it, it does give me the impression that uh, Shell is – keen to say goodbye to these particular set of assets what
1: what can you tell me ed about renaissance the f- i'm reading now the five company joint venture which is acquiring the stake i mean where what what is that
2: <laughs> yeah. so um so so shell so and, and other sort of majors have been sort of selling off uh these sort of onshore assets mature assets in nigeria over the last sort of 10 years or so um and and really predominantly to local companies um so mm-hmm. This uh this 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 five uh five company joint venture, I think, is four operators and a trader. Uh so I think it's Petrolin is the um is a sort of a Swiss-based trader, but it's essentially Africa focused. It's 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 got a sort of a strong sort of a West African sort of board. So it's it's very much sort of a local team. And I think that's 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 really how um, these, these these deals are being done? I think at this point it would be politically challenging to sell, particularly onshore assets in Nigeria to companies that are not Nigerian. So again, I think that's another reason why there might be a bit of a discount because it's a challenging place where to you know where you could in terms of, sort of selling these assets. And so it, it feels like um, yes, I mean that 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 was very much not I mean it's it's, it's interesting they kind of come together in this way. Um, but it was very much uh, kind of not a surprise that it would be local companies buying. I think I think there is a kind of a question around quite how these, these sales are proceeding. So we've seen over the last kind of couple of years, so Exxon selling some assets to SEPLA. It's essentially it's sort of onshore assets. Um and he's selling some a group of four, I think, licenses. Um, and then Equinor has also recently just announced a deal. All of these are going to local companies, but all of them have not actually made very much progress. In particular, the Seplat deal, buying uh, Exxon's assets, has been stuck, mired in. It feels like politics at this point. It feels like something's kind of quite, kind of you know, kind of gone wrong in that way. And so, obviously, that kind of casts a bit of a shadow over the, these 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 other deals. So, obviously, it would be really interesting to see how Shell moves ahead with these. And, and they're working in SPDC with um, with Eni, the Italians, and uh, Total Energies. Eni said they are not selling out, so they've still got a five percent stake. Total has got a ten percent stake, I think, in that uh, in that in that joint venture with Enpc. And Total has did not reply to uh, my, 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 my request for a comment. So total may also be looking at an exit from that uh, from that onshore JV. Who might buy it? Whether it makes any you know faster progress still remains to be seen.
0: Just this trend of uh, majors seeming to divest. Maybe not E and I. I don't know. But I mean, and you also mentioned, I guess, this this bureaucratic problems with getting the deals kind of over the line. Just I mean, how how is Nigeria sitting now? I suppose when you look at. I guess the oil-producing provinces across Africa. I mean, it, it seems like it used to be once kind of the the hot spot, very prolific. Perhaps it still is, but it, is, it, is it? Is it? Has it? just been mired in so much issue around stuff that you've, you highlighted there about pipelines and on all the rest of it that it's becoming just. Unattractive, or is that an unfair way of categorizing it? How is it? How's it stacking up? Yeah,
2: I mean, I, look, I, th- I, think, I think certainly Nigeria's got a real reputational problem. I mean, look, every, you know, essentially, you know, um, my, my, my mother, for instance, yesterday was complaining about getting more emails from Nigerians, and that's kind of very much the kind of the, the kind of the stereotype, isn't it? And yeah, I mean, look, Nigeria's got a real problem in terms of, um, in terms of its, re- of its regulatory environment. It's clearly got a lot of oil there, right? Like it's it's got incredibly productive reserves. It can keep on producing oil and gas, right? There's even more gas. The, until essentially the cows come out. But the the question is, who's gonna do it? Um and I think they've not quite worked out how to go about it. I mean, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting comparison can be drawn with Angola, which in many ways had sort of similar challenges. They obviously, again, another highly productive province, but was r- running into real challenges around kind of attracting business, around attracting investment. About sort of five years ago, they overhauled the um, the, the sort of petroleum regime. They got a new president. They cracked down on on, on the sort of the, the extremely sort of high-profile corruption cases. And now we're sort of seeing kind of new independence going into Angola and in, in a really kind of a positive way. Nigeria has just struggled to make any progress, right? The the, the, the challenges around doing business in, in Nigeria are such that um, it's put off foreign investment. And it's always that thing where it does feel like there are clearly, um, you know, bargains, there, there are clearly deals to be done. The sector needs cash, they need to stop flaring, they need to tackle these, uh, these pipeline problems, they need to sort of really rejuvenate the industry. But the um, I mean, it, it feels like political paralysis. that so they kind of, kind of, you know, it kind of started with. Whereas they've they've got a regulator who's been newly got a new sort of set of powers under some some, some new le- legislation, but the 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 deals are just not moving quickly enough through that process. And up until they do, it's hard to see things improving. Mm.
0: Okay, well, I guess we'll be keeping an eye out on Shell's results as well for any uh, further detail on that deal, but that's, uh, that's fine for now. Thanks very much, Ed. Next, we'll stick with Shell, and we've got victory in our sights after this.
1: In a world where the scarcity of key resources is starting to be felt and the impact of climate change is all too apparent, sustainable growth is no longer a choice, it is a necessity. Sustainable Growth Voice is a new online publication championing individuals and organizations that are pushing sustainable growth forward, making a positive impact on the environment, society and the economy. From innovative technologies solving sustainability challenges to social enterprises promoting inclusive growth and transformative policy initiatives, SG Voice covers the fundamental drivers at the heart of the new sustainable economy. Join the conversation that the world needs now. Visit SG Voice for knowledge, inspiration, and insight from across the sustainable growth landscape.
0: Okay, so the government announced it had approved the Shell Victory gas field around 30 miles west of Shetland this week on Wednesday. And that was followed by Shell very closely unveiling a final investment decision had been taken. Uh, Clearly, like Rosebank last year with Equinor, Shell had decided to invest in this well in advance of the, but they were just waiting on the regulatory green light. I don't believe that's how things used to be done, but uh, that's where we are today. So Victory, uh, a 50-year-old near enough uh, gas discovery, uh, 1977 by Texaco, I believe, which I think certainly puts it as one of the oldest, if not the oldest, uh, discovery in the west of Shetland. Um, Shell says it's going to flow via the Total Tormer infrastructure to the Shetland gas plant from their piped, the St. Ferguson, Aberdeenshire, uh, and used in the UK national grid. And Shell says this will help offset some uh, of our reliance on imports. They cited figures that the UK... Uh, only had 38% of its UK gas being domestically produced, I think, in 2022. Um, equivalent of 25,000 barrels a day, it's it's a, it's a modest find in, in the grand scheme of things, of course. Um, the environmental statement says 179 billion cubic feet of gas overall, about 7% of the UK's annual natural gas consumption. First gas next year, and most of it is expected to be used up by the end of the decade. Um, so I guess there's a couple of points that kind of... Um, stand out from from this one um probably the main question for me is is how much is the i guess the for all the complaints we've had about the windfall tax in the uk it would seem that this has lined up pretty perfectly for um shell i'd be very interested in knowing more about to what extent the measures around the windfall tax actually um incentivized getting this this going or not i mean how much is shell investing How much is it getting in, you know, EPL-related tax incentives? How much revenue does it expect to generate for the UK exchequer? Um, Not to get into too much nitty gritty, but basically EPL tax incentives mean that, you know, effectively companies get a 91 pence um, tax saving for every one pound spent through to the end, to the middle of March, at the end of March, 2028. So basically, that's the life of this field, um, save a couple of years. So be interested in knowing how much the, as I say, how much is being invested, how much is uh, the windfall tax, you know, played a hand in actually getting this going um, rather than stifling it. Um, you know, small project, uh, Shell says lower emissions by virtue of being a tieback, it, it won't certainly won't solve the energy security problem in the UK, but it's a boost for capacity at the Shetland gas plant, uh, which uh, part owners Kistos Energy highlighted in RNS this morning. Um, it has gotten some attention. Um, Greenpeace say they could go to court over this. Obviously, uh, they're, they're saying the approval is, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but that kind of undermines the UK's uh, climate credentials. Um, But that said, I think the reaction here has been uh, quite muted, certainly, compared to what we've seen in in recent years. It seemed that every single uh, little project um, was getting a lot of attention, especially a shell project. I mean, if you think about... The Jackdaw field, um, 60,000 people signed a petition to stop Jackdaw a year or two ago. Um, nothing even remotely like that right now. Um, the top sides for that project in the Central North Sea expected to be delivered uh, this year, I believe. Um, and also we've got things like the, the Penguins FPSO arriving this year as well to uh, to decent-sized uh, shell projects for the UK sector. Um, I think it's probably fair to say um, that Rosebank and uh, and Campbell have really kind of stolen the oxygen there. Um, so whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Um, it would be good to know, kind of uh, compare, compare and contrast how the emissions of all these projects um, weigh up. But yeah, it's it's you know obviously it's been welcomed by people in the industry. Um, there's some questions about uh, the windfall tax. It's good, I guess, from an imports exports position and domestic gas supply. But yeah, I think I think the the reaction's been a bit muted. Um, I don't know what you've made of it, Andrew. Uh,
1: I, th- I mean, the the, uh, the reception on LinkedIn and social media seems to always be pretty positive. I think any any project approval in the North Sea is always greeted with you know a decent amount of uh, of uh, support. Mm. But yeah, we haven't quite seen the uh, sort of bombastic <laughs> uh, energy independence and energy security claims that we have around some of the other projects. I think it's one thing that struck me was um, it's kind of the last of a few projects in the pipeline. That are up for approval before the hopper is is essentially pretty dry. Uh, a piece I wrote in December speaking to Von Telford at Westwood. I think we have Victory and we have Teal West and Avalon. So Teal West and Avalon I think still in in the mix for approvals in the in the next few months. Um, but but doesn't leave a lot left uh, for 2024. Uh, and few of the other ones are moving forward to uh, environmental approvals but again probably won't make it through that process into this year. So uh, that piece was kind of under the banner of whether this might be a lost year for FIDs. So I think victory, certainly a victory for Shell, but whether it's the last victory we see <laughs> on the uh, on the upstream front for a few months, uh yeah, interesting to to watch that. It
0: kind of it kind of comes back to that point that, you know, I've heard others make that, you know, you you would expect any new FIDs in, in the UK to be kind of or, or certain factions certainly you'd expect to be kind of really because there isn't much else going you know there isn't that much going on and uh, you know it's a, a boost to the supply chain and and you know but obviously uh, at the moment we do have very few fids going on the renewables jobs aren't, aren't quite there yet i think it's fair to say and uh, you know the the supply chain needs projects in the meantime to in order to keep it here it's kind of part of the reason why we're seeing all these rigs um, moving out of the sector right so uh, yeah it's it's but but nonetheless i suppose maybe we're seeing that play out now because I wouldn't say the NGO reaction to this has been very, very strong. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of these things we'll, we'll see how, we'll see, I suppose, maybe they're saving up their, saving up their pennies for, um, penguins arriving, um, or, or indeed the Jackdaw topsides. So, um, in,
2: in, in terms of, in terms of victory and the, and the, and the work, I mean, obviously I suppose, you know, Obviously, it, it feels like a you know like a nice step forward. But in terms of sort of the construction work, in terms of the investment, is it is it going to like local Scottish companies? Is it what's the has there been any sort of indications of that?
0: You know, there hasn't. Um, I don't think that any of that information was released in Shell's RNS. But it's a good question um, and certainly one we'll be seeking to ask. I would say that most of you know it, it's a small kind of subsea tieback. Um, and it'll be linked
1: in... A single well as well, right? And it's, yeah, so I, I
0: mean, I imagine... A relatively
1: short pipeline.
0: Yeah, so it probably, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a massive, uh, substantial project in that regard. But yeah, I mean, certainly we've seen, you know, when things have come around, like, again, Penguins probably, uh, excuse me, Jackdaw isn't isn't a massive project, I guess, by um, even by UK standards either. But, you know, the top sides for that, I believe, are being fitted out in Norway, as so many of these tend to be, and it tends to be things like the, the drilling... Um, and and the wells that the uk kind of supply chain get involved in um but yeah i mean i guess g- going back to that last year for fids piece you know we will see some more activity and we kind of talked in the, about this last week we will see more activity um this year around you know licensing um from the 33rd offshore round um i was at a company called Verloom this week and uh, hamza yusuf the the scottish first minister was there um decided to take a punt what does he reckon um in, in in terms of you know 80 up to 88 more uh, licenses being awarded um you won't be surprised to hear that uh, he was in uh, he, he found it disappointing uh, he said it demonstrated that the uk government is not serious about tackling the climate crisis um which uh, uh, speaking of reaction on linkedin andrew it was uh in everyone was in a full pretty full-throated opposition as you can imagine <laughs> from the, the oil and gas industry um but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, It's it's it, it kind of just kind of highlights, you know, th- there will be other things going on this year that, that we'll we'll be pointing to, not least the fact that things like licensing and new projects will, will more than likely be uh, a pillar of uh, the debate around uh, a general election um, in, in the coming months. So, you know, and the fact that, you know, we're not politicians, top tier politicians are apparently not drawing a line between... Um, Potential new domestic gas fields um, being brought in, uh, and energy security. Um, maybe that's a, a point that deserves more scrutiny. And, and you know, we've talked about oil before. It does rely on uh, European refineries to an extent, but you know, you might also argue we're part of that network um, as a net importer of oil uh, and oil products. So. Yeah, I guess, I guess we'll see, we'll see what comes of Victory, we'll see whether, uh, as you say Ed, whether we'll, we'll see local supply chain contracts uh, awarded uh, and certainly we'll be keeping an eye out on more from uh, Shell uh, this year as some of those other projects come in. But I think for now that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud, so that just leaves me to thank my two colleagues Ed and Andrew for joining me and thanks for listening.
1: Outloud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Outloud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Outloud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.